Welcome to the Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Banker Midweek. And today, your editors are Liz Lumley and Kimberly Long. Hello, Kimberly. Hello, Liz. Hello. So, as our listeners know, the Banker Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on the Banker site and newsy bits that will influence future stories. So let's start with the Banker site. Um, and there's an interesting piece, which is written by George Peasy, who's an associate at uh, the law firm Peters and Peters. And this is looking at a UK Supreme Court ruling uh, for the judgment in a case called Phillips versus Barclays Bank UK. So this kind of addresses circumstances in which a bank can be held liable for failing to prevent a customer from being defrauded, and they seem to have come down on the side of banks in uh, in the liability and liability for this case. I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe what AI could do, but 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 before we get into this, I mean, what did what did you what are some of your comments on this story? It's an interesting one, really, because you know the the bank can only exert a certain amount of of care, I suppose, over customers, especially when. You know, in the story, it says that the, the customer had given approval for payments to to leave the account for the UAE. And, you know, that's where the, the, I think the, the, the push payments were going to. So if the customer has already given approval for these things to happen, it's hard for the bank to then know that, you know, whatever the, the customer wanted from that, whether it was the frequency or the amount or whatever of these payments. Like you, the, the bank doesn't know what the customer wants to happen, mm. you know, so that's. I think that's a kind of a g- difficult there, and you know, I was thinking around that kind of we have that that issue around where the bank can kind of flag to you that there's an issue, or you know, you get the text messages, you get the phone calls to say, is this is this a, a, a transaction you want to happen? But it's kind of dependence as well on the the end consumer actually engaging with these things as well and verifying them too. So there's that level of com- complexity, I think that yeah, it's a that balance between security mm. and a and a nice customer experience. Yeah. I mean and this is in the UK, which yeah. which has the you know, you have to approve payments via the app and, and other means all mm. the time. But it's interesting. Um yeah, I mean, just a story from my background. Um, when I became a citizen of the UK, the my bank stopped my payment to the home office of nine hundred pounds, which I have to say, no, no, please <laughs> Please let me stay. Please <laughs> let the home office take my money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some things, strange things get, get flagged. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems, you know, odd that other things don't get flagged. And, you know, yeah, I think it's kind of, it. it's a complicated, as you mentioned before, there's so many transactions that go yeah. through yeah. on a daily basis. So maybe AI could help. Around, yeah. you know, I mean, cause I, I'm matter. just thinking again, kind of from my experience, like I have had things on my credit card be flagged before, but I don't think I've ever had anything from my bank account be flagged. Oh, wow. Really? I don't think so. Like, and I've had that, I'm one of those awful people. I've had that bank account for like nearly 30 years. <laughs> um, so it's, like, <laughs> um, it's, it's, I don't think I've ever had anything in my bank account, but yeah, the, the credit card tends to be quite, quite good with mm. the odd random thing. And, you know, it's, it's, Yeah. And, you know, we were, we were talking earlier around, like, the kind of the, the two-factor two factor authentication process and things like that as well. Now, you know, there's that extra level of security whereby even if you 
every every transaction you make like for I don't know if this is the same around the world I doubt it but like in the UK when you buy anything online and you put in your credit card and I always have to then go into the app on my phone to then verify that this is a purchase I want to make whether that's for you know 20 pounds or 2,000 pounds you know so there's it's always checking but you know this like you say this is where AI comes into it and how they could how that how they given humanizing AI there how that could um how that <laughs> yes. could benefit we are going down that road we are no, human. no. um but I mean this this is the type of thing where AI actually is a really good use case because it can just troll data in mm. a way that humans just don't have the time for mm. and if it does pick up a like an anomaly in something or if a frequency of a transaction increases or the amount suddenly increases dramatically it can flag that in a way that maybe a human couldn't or wouldn't do. Mm. I, I I really like that um, checking on the app thing in this mm. country. It's a friction, but it's a friction I kind of appreciate. Mm. You know, even though it didn't stop me from only buying one Taylor Swift. <laughs> I know this is, this is a set, an extra podcast, isn't it? Liz? This is an extra podcast of my my. I'll, I'm going to go on TikTok and be Lizzie No Mates. With my one Taylor Swift ticket. But I mean, I think also you, there's, there's like a, a load of key humble brag in this that Liz does actually have a Taylor Swift ticket. You know, there's thousands of people out me there. Me and a bunch of 50, 15 year old girls, and I'll be Auntie Liz. Oh, it's like when I'm to Billie Eilish, that's another story as well. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to move on to uh, one of your stories and also uh, digital assets. Mm -hmm. We always have to talk about digital assets. So this is digital assets could unlock supply chain finance liquidity under the monetary authority of singapore's project guardian the development of a digital asset class could help relieve liquidity issues in trade finance kimberly long reports please report Hi. further yeah so i mean i think this is just a great example of monetary authority of singapore mas just how kind of forward thinking they are on so many things like we had the story a couple of weeks ago from james king around mm -hmm. what they've been doing there was project orchid wasn't it and mm -hmm. like with this, with Project Guardian, this is a number of different frameworks that they've been working through. So it's across wealth management, fixed income, um, foreign exchange, and then also this trade finance as well. So, I mean, this is the bit that we thought would be interesting to look at. And basically what's happened is Standard Chartered has worked in conjunction with the Singapore Exchange Group and Link Logics, I think it's how it's pronounced. And they've developed a token to support trade financing. So they repackaged five... $500 million of import and export financing into two asset classes of digital tokens, which were issued natively on Ethereum, and the tranches were divided for risk appetite. So it's really a very innovative way of doing this. I mean, we I've covered, I started my career in covering trade finance, and that was way <laughs> back. That was like 12 years ago now. And back mm. then, we were talking around how to increase liquidity, how to get more investors into trade finance how to make it less paper-based mm. and it's taken a long time but things like this really do seem to be creating a solution but you know there are issues as well within that and I mean the thing that I found interesting is when I was doing the the interviews this piece and Stephen who who kind of led the project at Standard Chartered was saying like they chose Ethereum because it was the the platform that most of the investors that they were speaking to was most familiar with, which I found quite interesting in and of itself. But then it's a public platform. So there's a lot of issue around that as well. Like it's not completely locked down and secure and all the issues that come around with that. So, you know, it's it's really interesting that this development has happened and that, you know, it's from them from MAS and they are 
so forward thinking i think in terms of what they do like you know they they kind of lead and the rest of the the world kind of follows i think in a mm -hmm. lot of ways yeah so it's really it's really great to see them take these steps but it's not a full a foolproof solution really there's still a lot of issues that need to be worked out yeah. and you know there's you know, if we wanted to be global, because right now it's quite limited. I think it's really just focused around Singapore, which makes things a lot easier because you're just dealing with one set of regulator, one set of mm. legal frameworks. But That's one of the problems with trade finance. There's exactly. thousands and thousands of regulations. If you want to make it global, and then if you want to start saying things like, well, can you pay in, in Bitcoin? What are the rules around that in different jurisdictions? And then can that then be traded between different countries? Mm. If it's some one tranche has been paid for in Bitcoin, can it then not be sold on somewhere else because that country won't accept Bitcoin? So, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of issues to be worked out. But as an initial project, I think, you know, it's quite exciting. It's quite interesting that finally we might have managed to kind of crack that nut of how to make trade finance a bit more digital and a bit more for the future. Because <laughs> 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 it's still very much... You know, when you, you talk to people, it still sounds like it's very much not moved on from mm. like the 1800s. There are a lot of regulations that still require paper, which yeah. caused a lot of problems from the pandemic. Mm. But I, I, I agree with you completely. I think anything coming out of MAS in Singapore um, is something to watch, any experiments. Mm. Um, it, there'll be, you know, there'll be uh, in interesting developments yeah. in that region. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so I'm not going to spend that much time on the next story, um, but this is finally instant payments has expanded in the U.S. with the launch of FedNow, which is the Federal Reserve's instant payment service. We've talked about this before in the past on the podcast, and I'm only going to say one thing. I'm not even going to ask you for comment. <laughs> um, the FedNow program in the U.S. is not a central bank digital currency. Um, and if you think it is, then you need to go back and get an education on financial services. Thank you. Goodbye. We're now leaving the banker site. <laughs> just need to have that on the record one more time for all the crypto bros out there. Okay. I mean, um, I, I was just going to say, I think obviously it's good that the U.S. is kind of catching up because, again, I feel like the U.S. banking system is very much like the trade finance banking system with mm. the checks and the paper and the, the writing of things. Um, but I'm still always jealous that in the U.S. you kind of have that. I can't think of the where you can just like it's like Venmo, where you can just send money yeah. to people. We don't have that here. Yeah, but we don't need it here because it's we have a, a more mature banking system. I know, but it's so like Venmo. Like Venmo developed in the U.S. because it has a backwards. I know, but it's almost like it's leapfrogged something. Like I have on my phone in my WhatsApp, like so many times my friends have sent me like their sort code and their bank account number, so I can send them money for. I don't know, a gig ticket or for dinner mm. or whatever like that. And it's just like, there must be an easier way than this. And I think, well, you, you know, there's been attempts. Or, like yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you can do it through WhatsApp in some places, yeah. but you can't hear. So. You can. Can you? Yeah. This is news to me. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, we're getting something exciting here right now. This is this is new information. Um, yeah, It's really easy here. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Ping It was the first, but that's yeah. not in service anymore. Yeah. And then... um. God, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna show my ignorance, my total recall. Anyway, <laughs> we're going I, down a little a little road now. But but what I w would say, going going back, one of the things I think there's now more contactless in the U.S. But a few years mm. ago, it used to be a lot of fun to. I'm spending more time on this than I wanted to. I used to be a lot of fun to um, surprise American tourists in London by using contactless mm. cards. It was magic. <laughs> I know, amazing. <laughs> 
All right, we're leaving the banker site now. I know it's sad. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll all have a tear. Um, but this is um, interesting. This was the front cover of the paper FT today, which is Credit Suisse has been fined $388 million over the um, Archicos collapse. Now, this was kind of um, very much part of the collapse of the bank itself. Mm -hmm. U.S. and U.K. regulators criticized serious and significant failings behind the $5.5 billion trading loss um, at Credit Suisse. Um, so this was uh, related to the, the collapse of Ar um, Archicos Capital, which kind of caused the trading loss. And it was interesting. It's kind of, a, uh, there's a story we ran a few weeks ago about cultural contamination mm. after a merger, which was related to um, trying to stem the... Um, the contagion mm. from e when UBS bought by, yeah. by Credit Suisse because because some of this um, these fines are around um, that Credit Suisse has an unsafe and unsound counterparty credit risk management practices. So mm. UBS I think is very conscious to not bring some of those practices over to the new uh, to the new entity. But um, yeah, Credit Suisse is the bank that keeps on giving. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I mean, it's quite it's quite astonishing, really, isn't it? And I think that is just incredible when you see that kind of, you know, there's the, the line here about, you know, introduced red lines, which prevent Credit Suisse employees, the UBS has introduced red lines, which prevent Credit Suisse employees from carrying out certain activities while was yeah, acquisition of the collapsed bank. It's just like... I mean, I'm not sure how, I mean, they're, I mean, basically, even if, even if you worked at Credit Suisse and this has nothing to do with you, you're, you're marked. This is true. Yeah. 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 But it is just absolutely wild, isn't it? <laughs> really, when you think about it, that there's just, we know we know what you do, but you're not allowed to do that here. Or yeah. just, you know, we've got some new kids, don't copy what they do, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't copy their homework, you know? But also, it's very, I mean, this has been going on forever, you know, mm. places, not, it's not just banking. Risk management is a cost center and a place where I spoke to one risk manager a number of years ago who said, um, I, I'm, I'm considered the person who says no all mm. the time and, and I don't want to be that person. Um, and I think it, they, uh, the importance of proper risk management guidelines. Yeah, is, I mean, that was the, the thing that we then looked at mm. with the chief, chief risk officer and how important they are mm. and just how catastrophically wrong <laughs> things can go when you haven't yeah. got someone in place to do the checks and balances. It's yeah. just insane. Yep, Th this, is, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're going into a little bit of uh, less regulation. So um, Buy Now, Pay Later was a, uh, was a darling in the fintech world uh, last year. It has, it has suffered some blows over the, past, uh, over the past few months. So the Treasury in the UK has set to shelve BNPL regulations, according to a report that came out of Sky News today. And um, according to the report, Treasury officials have been told during recent talks with the industry that a number of its biggest players would quit the UK market if they are subjected to heavy-handed regulation. And the uh, industry body, Innovate Finance, had come out against some of these uh, heavy-handed regulations a few months ago in the mm. past, saying that they were more onerous that... Um, uh, than those that apply to credit cards. Now, it's interesting. I think BNPL, buy now, pay later, I think it was a victim of its own hype. I think mm. it was, it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a credit facility. It's, it's a way to pay for things over time. I, I've used it to buy 
close because then the money doesn't leave my account and I can return stuff mm. that, that doesn't fit. Um, and But I think it got overhyped as the new great thing. Mm. And then it sort of attracted that type of attention and that type of, of regulation. So yeah. um, I don't know. Do you think, do you think this is a good move that uh, to, to downplay the heavy handedness or? I mean, I'm, I did a feature about a year or so ago around BMPL because I mean, for me, it always just really rang alarm bells. Like I just found it very concerning um, how easy it was for people to potentially get into quite a lot of debt. Mm. And that I just always worried me quite a lot. Um, and I think that's probably even more than like on a professional basis, but like on a personal basis, <laughs> like it just kind of, I just, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really Someone, like it. Somebody so said it to me. almost worries me a little yeah. bit. But then also at the same time, I do think that kind of the, the hyped explosion of it has somewhat abated. I mean, like Klarna has not had the mm. happiest time of late and things like that. So I think maybe it doesn't need to be, maybe it's kind of started to regulate itself a little bit because maybe people who've had a bad experience with it have stopped using it or something, mm. I don't know. But, you know, it's it, it needs some degree of regulation though as well because otherwise, you know, it's the consumer at the end who's going to end up getting you know when yeah. people suddenly realize that if they don't make payments the bailiffs come and take their stuff to make mm -hmm. pay you know it's quite yeah. i'm just i'm just wondering whether you know there was i mean when you buy a car most people most people le you know it, well mm. most people lease a car but you buy a house mm. you don't pay out front if you buy a a high high value you know a, an expensive item like a peloton bike usually mm. that's done over payments i mean maybe this wasn't made as clear that this is yeah, I mean, I think, like, the, the concept of making payments like that, I mean, you know, I grew up when my mum would buy things as a catalogue, so we'd make installments, payments mm. installments over a period of time, and, you know, this is very similar with that, but then, you know, with everything else, like, I've been talking to, you know, Building Society recently, and, you know, every phone call, they give me, like, this whole legal spiel at the start to say, like, this is advice, blah, 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 you know, and you know you get all that and then everything else that comes through you have like 10 pages of documents to read through but you have to <laughs> sign it to say that you've read it but with things like buy now pay later it's very much just you click and it's like oh okay we'll spread the cost but then it's how quickly that could accumulate and how that could hit people in the most difficult circumstances is what kind of worries Maybe, me yeah. about it so i have someone told me i know you met, you mentioned klarna and klarna mm. is swedish and um they said that um you know, they can see Klarna working in a Scandinavian country, which has universal income. But mm. when you move it to other countries, it doesn't have that sort of welfare state. It doesn't work. Yeah, so. exactly. And I mean, the thing that I always go back to, which is the thing that kind of started me off on writing the feature in the first place, was just seeing some meme on Instagram, which is where <laughs> I get all of my news from, apparently. Um, but there was just something about, I think it was on um, Delivery or Just Eat or one of the food apps in the UK where you could spread the cost of a burger over three months with Klarna <laughs> and it was kind of there was it was like the joke about that it was like imagine still paying off your, your burger, your, your burger. In like three months <laughs> but then that in and of itself just terrified me as well mm. then because I was thinking well are people going to be doing this because they can't afford to buy food otherwise you know yeah. it's the amount of websites you see it pop up on and yeah it's just it's yeah I'm I'm very 
not comfortable with <laughs> with the whole concept anyway. Well, the hype has died down. Mm. We'll see what happened. Okay, so here's our latest story. We have a lot of UK-based stories this week. We're getting into the dog days of summer. Um, but this is a, a big story in the UK for some people that are following it. For those of you who don't know who Nigel Farage is. You're lucky is, people. <laughs> you're lucky people. Um, <laughs> he is the former leader of UKIP, the UK Independence Party, and he was very much part of the pro- Brexit uh, wing of um, uh, the, uh, I, I don't want to say the Conservative Party, but political you know, establishments. That's right. Yes, yeah, of pe yeah. people who were very much in favor of the UK leaving the European Union. So he has been denied or kicked off um, a Coots bank account. Coots is a very hoity toity private bank um, that uh, caters to very wealthy people, and he was deemed a uh, a politically exposed person, um, and also that his uh, views, which are more on the right of the spectrum, were uh, contrary to uh, Coots' corporate um, corporate mission. Now, Coots is made uh, is made is owned by NatWest, which is uh, also very much what sixty percent owned by the still by the by mm. the UK taxpayer. So they've actually had to kind of apologize to Nigel Farage for denying him a bank account or kicking him off his bank account without um, an explanation. Now, that's the part. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you in a, in a second. But, mm -hmm. of course, there's a lot of people on the right talking about uh, this is a free speech issue. This isn't actually a free speech issue. Mm. Um, you know, Coots is a private bank, and if they don't want your business they don't want your business mm. you can you can go bank somewhere else mm. um and i think also you know if you're going to make your views very public of which nigel farage does make his views very public mm. you have to sometimes deal with the consequences yeah. of of those views um that said kicking someone off without you know explaining why mm. i think is 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 no matter what your political views are is mm. not probably not the right business practice no. to do, which is why NatWest has had to apologize <laughs> to Nigel Farage. I don't know what the end of this story is, whether he will get his bank account back or he'll just bank somewhere else, but it's made a lot of uh, call. It's, it's made a lot of noise for Nigel and his fan base. Um, mm. But but what do you, what are your views? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of elements to this. Like, you know, like you say, just because someone's kind of political views, they shouldn't really be denied a bank account. Um, mm. And because then you start getting into a whole world of, of complication there. But I think, you know, there's, there's other elements to this as well, as, as I understand it from my other kind of, because this has been rolling on for a long time in the UK, <laughs> you need to understand this. Um, you know, Nigel Farage is a generally like a pantomime villain kind of character in the UK news. Um, and there's, there's, there's other aspects to this. I think one, if I understand it correctly, was that you need to have a certain level of income into your Coots account to be able to have a Coots account. Yeah, I believe it's, it's like a million pound a yeah. year. And Farage doesn't have that. He used to. Mm. You know, he used to be like a stockbroker or used to be whatever. And um, I'm sure when he was in his political days and he was doing all his after dinner speeches and things like that, he was getting paid a lot of money. So, you know, he was always hitting that target. But Coots have also said, not just because you're, I think it's like a politically exposed person, I mm. think is the, the term they use. It's not just that. It's also because, you know, you're not actually hitting that income level that would mean that you can still bank with us. Um, so that's one of the reasons why. I mean, and did, then, did they explain that to him? I don't know. I yeah, don't I think that's one of the this, issues. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I think you know he's they've kind of said subsequently like you know you know you're not left without an account you're just going to be dropped down into a kind of standard NatWest account but even then I'm pretty sure it's not like a a, a regular current account and probably would have been like you know some wealth management exclusive little side office yeah. that he would go for, to for people that make eight hundred thousand exactly yeah 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 you know it's not it's just that he's lost that exclusivity of using the same bank account as like the royal mm. family uses basically but then that's the thing as well that i kind of find hilarious in this is that you know there's such a thing in the from certain factions in the uk about like the you know the, the left-wing media and the loony left and things like that and it's like come on when the bank the bank's the king i know they're not exactly now the loony left <laughs> No, it's just yeah that's the thing that kind of cracks me up in in this to be perfectly honest that's the bit that gets me the most is that yeah it's when these incredibly old british institutions are maybe even moving at a pace a little bit faster than some it's yeah it's just insane but yeah it's well, it's, it's well one I, thing one thing is true is um i don't think nigel farage ever walked away from a from a from a press explore from um you know news and yeah i mean and the thing that kind of gets me as well is that it's not like nigel farage's political views are a new thing i know <laughs> like and i assume he's had this coots account for some time yeah so this is all if it is a case of they are now decided that because of his political views he can't have this bank account like it, why is it taking them to this point? Like, what have they enacted policy internally recently to say mm. we don't want these people? I mean, but also there's another issue, and I'm going to be very delicate in saying this because although uh, a lot of people disagree with Nigel Farage's political views, you know, he's not a, a criminal; he hasn't mm. committed a crime. Um, but we are there's lots of stuff in the news, you know, the ramifications from Jeffrey Epstein, for example, mm. and banks doing business with people who have committed crimes. Mm. And so there's calls for why why was this business continued? Why didn't someone come in and stop this? Why didn't we say, you know, you're not the type of business that we want to deal yeah. with? And even last week we talked a bit about bank financing, like bringing up climate change, financing fossil fuels, and being very aware of how your bank uses your money mm. and having banks be aware of, uh, you know, and being very transparent about that. So mm. there is there is kind of wider issues about you know, a, a, a company choosing to do business with individuals or, or sectors and yeah. um, and having it, having it uh, like what what balance they need to take on. Yeah, it. but I think that the point you made right at the start is that ultimately like Coots is a private bank mm. and it is up to them who they choose to bank and who they choose not to bank. Yep. You know, it's their right to be very selective on these things. So it's... You know, it's also, it's that aspect to it as well, isn't it? It's kind of, it's up to their discretion in a lot of cases. But yeah, I just feel it's one of those things that you'll just, we'll be hearing about this for a long time. Oh, of I'm course, sure of course. He's going to be, he's, Nigel has a bone. He's going to, he's going to run with it. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, on, the, on that bombshell, people. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so next week I will be joined by Virginie O'Shea. And I'm sure we're going to talk about um, lovely stuff like T plus one. Um, and uh, securities processing and all that fun stuff. Um, but uh, for today, for myself and Kimberly, we're going to say goodbye. Yeah, thank you, Liz. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more. <laughs>